SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC Edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing great, and I brought a special guest with me. You did. Yeah, uh, we're doing. Uh, you want me to do this? Okay. No, you do it. <laughs> okay. We're joined tonight by Evan Barnes, a Memphis writer, who is going to help us break down the Tigers for 10, 15 minutes here, I think. You know, it's so funny about Evan, and I, I'm going to let you say your hello in a second, but I used to read your stuff all the time at the commercial appeal. Like I would Google, you know, Memphis up and I'm like, wow, I'm always reading this guy. Evan Barnes is you know, articles are really helpful, like in my breakdowns and my recaps. And, and then I don't know if you followed me on Twitter. I followed you like, however it happened, we connected on Twitter and I was like, Oh my God, this is the guy that writes all these pieces. So I'm so excited to have you on, especially because I'm coming to Memphis this weekend. So welcome to the underdog dynasty podcast, Evan. I appreciate that, Emily. And honestly, I am flattered that you read my stuff. I'm still, I'm still weird. Like I've been writing for a long time. I've been a journalist for over 10 years. And I'm like, when someone says they read my stuff like that, I'm just like, it's crazy. I, I still don't. I covered yeah. preps for 10 years. I've been in Memphis now. This is year five. I'm just like, I, I still don't, I can't fathom that. So I appreciate you saying that. So thank you. Oh, of course. It's it's yeah. good stuff. And Memphis, we're so excited to have somebody on who understands Memphis because I don't get it. I don't know what's going on or how this team is where they are and like how no one talks about Ryan Silverfield, like really at all. He kind of just escapes the narrative when it comes to like coaching hot seats or anything like that. So I know Dan has going to have a lot of questions for you. Um, but should we start with the recap of this weekend, Dan? Yeah. Uh, Temple played at Memphis, Temple three, Memphis <laughs> 24. Uh, I guess your just initial thoughts on that game. It was a strange game. I mean, it was, it was probably, and I've, again, I've seen some rough offensive games. Like when they played Cincinnati, that was rough in 2020, the Mississippi state first half where they were, I believe down 35 to three at one point was bad. Mm-hmm. This was probably one of the worst offensive outputs they've had at home in a long time. I mean, it was the first time they were shut out, shut out at halftime at home mm-hmm. since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you were, credit wait do you credit that and this may be jumping the gun but do you credit that to Temple's defense which like looks really good in this game or do you think that's just Memphis being bad I think it's both Temple's okay. defense is pretty good it were good as advertised I think they were they kind of fattened up a little bit on some okay teams but to see them in person swarm to the ball be lanky be aggressive with their front I thought that was impressive, but I also think Memphis's offense has kind of struggled these last two weeks, mainly because they've been playing without, um, they were without two of their starting linemen on the left side at left tackle and left guard. And they've really struggled the last six quarters to kind of sustain any level of consistency. And so I think it was part temple, but also it was Memphis just struggling to execute. I mean, it was one of those things where you're like, they can't really move the ball downfield. They really can't mm-hmm. um, execute on third down like they used to. And it was just like, what's going on? So I think it was more Memphis, but also, you know, give Temple credit. But I think Memphis was just really disappointed with that first half. 
What do you think of, um, I'm a huge Stan Drayton fan over here, like big time, love the guy. I've talked to him a couple of times. We've had him come on the podcast for clips and whatnot. And I think he's so inspiring. He like made me want to be a better person after talking to him. So I, I think that's like a really, if someone can get me moving in that direction, it's like, okay, you've got some juice. Did you get that at all from seeing him like on the sideline? Or I don't know if you heard his press or if you got to see him in person, like what that vibe was. No, I didn't get to really talk to him much, you know, but watching that team, they were coached up well. Like that was Mm -hmm. a well-coached team that was wanted to gear up and obviously play hard. And I thought they played hard. I think they just basically ran out of gas because um, they're playing with a true freshman quarterback. They really Mm -hmm. just didn't have much offense going. So I think they played really, really well. You can see how Stan Drayton has definitely lit a fire under that team. Um, And it's just going to take some time for them to develop on offense, but defensively, they look like, you know, good Temple team or good Temple defense that can uh, make some teams work a little bit in the AAC, I, I think. Yeah. Yay. I mean, the Temple defense is good. I don't think they've allowed an offensive touchdown in two games leading up to the Memphis one against Rutgers and UMass. Yeah, I think it was 11. It was like 11. Oh, I had a note about it. It was like 11. You're right. Emily, you're right. It was 11 straight quarters. Like when Memphis yeah. scored. <laughs> you're right. So when Memphis scored in the third quarter, somebody pointed out it was the first touchdown they'd given up in 11 quarters. So, which like uh, that's impressive for a new coach, like a program that was like in the toilet where it was like men- mentally, you know. And yeah, UMass was four of those quarters, but <laughs> Rutgers is in the Big Ten, so like. Oh boy, whatever you take the quarters where you can get them, and if a team's gonna give you those, then you take them. They're free. I'll take them. I guess you're gonna go to the laundromat after that, then, huh? <laughs> wow, that was a okay. Dan and I are not usually that funny. So people are going to be like, what is happening? (laughs) What are these jokes? Um, I have to make a note about the, we talk about the players of the week that AAC receives and I try and do it in order with the team. So special teams player of the week, uh, Joe Doyle, senior punter for Memphis. uh, Talk to me a little bit about how punting played a role in this game. (laughs) Well, it goes back to, I, Dan, you might be saying this like goes back to the offense not doing their job. The offense struggled, so it was Joe. It was Joe Doyle time. Um, Joe Doyle. So, so funny story about Joe. Um, just so your folks who may not be familiar with him, yeah. Joe transferred to Memphis last season from Tennessee, and because of an injury to their field goal kicker, he also had to be their kicker and punter for mm-hmm. the first four games last season. Um, and that. he told us he had not kicked since he was a senior in high school. So that was a bit of a challenge for him. Um, he had a kick against Mississippi State. They gave them an eight-point lead. That was good late in the game. But he, you know, at the end, he kind of struggled a little bit. And then when their kicker got healthy, Memphis went to their kicker. Um, but Joe Doyle is now focused on punting, which is something that he's really happy about. Mm-hmm. We talked to him about just kind of what he's been doing this offseason to kind of just stay focused and take care of his body. Mm-hmm. And really, you're seeing the fruits of it these last two weeks. He's now the nation's second leading punter, which mm-hmm. is great for him. Not so good on Memphis's offense if your punter is. <laughs> if you're doing that much. If yeah. you're doing a lot. <laughs> but give Joe Doyle credit. He has some great punts to kind of flip the field a little bit. Um, he stayed healthy. He's been very, very productive. And I think, you know, through five games, he's been as important as anybody else. Now, Memphis is known for having good specials. They had an All-American punter here about 10 years ago. So, they're very known for having guys who can come in and just, you know, excel, whether it's punting or field goal kicking. So Joe Doyle is continuing that legacy, at least from a punting standpoint. They also have a new kicker from Florida, Chris Howard, who's perfect. But Joe Doyle has been, you know, really fun to kind of watch 
don't call him the punk god yet. He's still Joe Doyle, but oh, Joe Doyle rules. Like from B- Billy Madison. No, I know it's O'Doyle, but you can say like Joe Doyle I like rules. It. I like it. God, I like it. God bless I America. I'm not. <laughs> I love Shut it. up, Dan. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Dan's just happy that we're talking about special teams because we have been saying on this podcast forever. Well, mostly Dan, but me too. I love kickers and punters and all that, but special teams makes such a difference in this league, especially this year. And how many times have we seen bad kicking and bad punting blow games, right, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I ECU's lost two games on kicking mm. alone. You know, what I mean, it matters. It does. You know, UCF probably lost to Louisville because they missed a field goal earlier and couldn't kick a field goal later to tie. Let's I'm, go for a touchdown. I'm you literally know? dreading talking about USF in this podcast later. Oh, so. I'm not. I'm excited. I can't. I don't. I'm excited. I, I don't want to think about it. Good, guy, good luck. Excited. Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed, right? Did, did South Florida have like a long 90-yard touchdown in their game the other day too? Yeah, uh, Jimmy Horn on a slant route. Went yeah, Jimmy a, Horn. Yeah, no, that was that was actually. I was watching the highlights, and usually try to watch the highlights after every game. But that was a cool play. Like South Florida at least has that working for because they don't have much much else. They've been struggling, but bless their hearts. <laughs> Not to get on South Florida rant early, but that's like the first time they've thrown the horn all season. He's their best receiver. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I got on this train real early from the station before the season started. And, you know, it's not been great. It's been I've been going backwards on this train ride and I'm not happy about it. But I really believed in Jeff Scott and what he was doing there. And I, I, I don't know where the disconnect is. I don't get it. I don't know. It, but it's not working anyways. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah. That's not to redirect too much back to Memphis. Yes. Um, thinking a little bit more big picture. What is the feeling of the fan base during the Ryan Silverfield mm. era? You know, you're coming off Mike Norvell where you went to a cotton bowl. You won the conference. God bless it Mike Norvell, by the way. Yeah. Oh, he's great. But yeah. you haven't matched that success with Silverfield. <laughs> so what's, is there anxiety about the level of play of the team or is it, hey, we've got to rebuild to get back to that point. A lot of talent graduated, takes a minute, kind of understanding. Rational fan base, no shot. That's what I'm asking. No way. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because I think people, first of all, Memphis before 20, I want to say before 2005, they had not had, or 2003, excuse me, 2003, they had had not a lot to celebrate outside of beating um, Tennessee in 1996. They struggled with, I'm not making a bowl game. They produced players who went to the NFL, Isaac Bruce, obviously being main, um, the main one, but they just didn't have a lot that, you know, a lot of team success. And now they had the era of the Angela Williams from 2003 to 2006. That was great. That also brought Steven Goskowski to the NFL. And then in 2014 is when this run really started, started under Justin Fuente, now under Mike Norvell. Mm-hmm. I bring all that up to say this Memphis fans. There are some Memphis fans who are like, Struggling right now is kind of like first world problems where it's like y'all weren't here when Memphis was had one win and was one of the worst programs in the country in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, if you're if you're mad at being four and one, y'all haven't seen a real struggle. But there are a lot of fans who are spoiled by the eight year run of making a bowl game. And they're looking like, you know, this is a little bit different than what they're used <laughs> to. They're used to explosive, explosive offenses. Mm-hmm. They're used to players who are dynamic uh, weapons that, you know, you love to watch highlights of the last year has it. Well, Calvin Austin was still here last year, but last year they were six and six. And I think people were a little bit like, okay, what's going on here this year. They're four and one, 
but it's not really being done with an explosive offense. It's more done with a dynamic defense that creates takeaways. It's being done by an offense that's more methodical, you know, slowly getting yards here, yards there, um, and that kind of nature. So I think people are really kind of like, it's weird. Like the, the buzz around the program is there, but it's not strong. It's not as strong as it was because when you go six and six, you have to really kind of re-earn that goodwill. And I think Memphis fans are supporting the team. But if you look at the attendance numbers, the last two weeks, they've had less than 24,000 fans at both of the games. Yeah. And that's concerning because obviously with Memphis, you went from averaging 30,000, you know, for a while. And now you're averaging, you know, you have, you know, the small crowd. So I think people are nerd. They're kind of unsure what to expect. They're right. kind of like, well, let's wait and see, but we're four and one. So it's okay. So it's kind of that weird space of the record. I, I wrote this as one of my leads this week. You are what your record says you are, but the record isn't exactly mm-hmm. the same that Memphis is this back to dominant powerhouse yet. Yeah. It's, I I agree with that. But my question, I guess, is, I mean, that's the perfect way to sum it up because like if it feels like they're doing okay, but then they're also not. So like there feels like there should be some pressure on Silverfield because there's games that you look at and you're like, well, what's going on? Yeah. yeah, Four and one's four and one too. Yeah. And I think that's true. Yeah. I'll I'll say this. I think there is, you know, there is some pressure on Memphis that they have to keep this up because obviously with conference realignment, Memphis fans have their eyes set on bigger and better things. I don't think Memphis fans are giving a pass now. Like in 2021 Mm -hmm. fans were worried when you go six and six. Now it's like, yeah, you're four and one, but you're not dynamic. You're not doing enough to kind of, you know, enter, you know, entertain us a little bit more. And so I think there is a little bit of concern about where this program is kind of going, because while you're winning these games, you're not in the upper echelon of the AAC anymore. Yes. You're, you're, you're producing players who are in the NFL, Mm -hmm. but this year for the first time, I don't think there was an offensive player that had as much attention as say a Quindell Johnson on defense. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big concern is where is this program going? And is this year going to be a year where you kind of figure out what you have? Or is it a building block year? And I think people are kind of like uneasy. And, and Emily, you'll see it when you come here. Like it, it's yeah, it's a different vibe when you're not sure what you have with this team. Like, yes, you're <laughs> four and one, but you don't you don't really have that kind of magic ball you yeah. have. Right? I'll give an example. Two, three years ago, Memphis started the year five and zero. Oh. Mm-hmm. They had beaten Ole Miss and they had beaten a good Navy team on a Thursday night game. That gave a lot of people a lot of buzz around the team where it was like, okay, this team's got something going on here. You could feel the energy like, oh, this team could be really good. Now, you didn't think it could be Cotton Bowl good, but Mm -hmm. you thought, hey, they're fun. They got some exciting players. I like what I see here. You don't really see that with this team. Like, It's not really exciting. It's kind of this – I've used the word methodical a lot. So I think fans Mm -hmm. are kind of like, we're not sure what to expect. Like, yeah, we're happy, but we're not – right. Like you're, you're, you're satiated, but you're not like overwhelmingly satisfied. I guess that's a good word. I think that's a good word. And even Memphis isn't satisfied. Like I talked to Ryan Silver this week. We asked, how are you feeling? It's like, you know, we're four and one, but we're not where we should be. So like, yeah, I think that's it. So he knows, he knows. And Oh yeah. So I think people aren't, yeah, people aren't satisfied with it. I think they want to be better, but I think this week will be a long way to show kind of like, you know, are you making that kind of progress against a Houston team that, may not have the yeah. record expected, but they can still come in here and surprise everybody and, you know, give Memphis a beating. 
Mm-hmm. You think people are going to show out for this game? It's a huge, well, I guess huge is now an understatement because you have Houston losing to Tulane in just like godforsaken fashion. And I, it was, it was, I don't have words for what that game was. Like, I literally don't know. I'm glad I didn't have to write about it. Cause like, that was, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That's well, Dana Holgerson walking off the field and being like, F you everybody. That's it. Here's the way you would have written. Here's what you would have written about that story. If you're a Tulane beat writer, you say your third string quarterback won a game at Houston. If you're a Houston the beat end. writer, if you're a Houston beat writer, y'all lost in overtime again mm. and mm. looked like you were imploding while mm. you were doing it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how you would do. I mean, so, do you think? Weird. Do you think that lessens the excitement around this Friday night game? Because when you look at the schedule prior to this, you're like, "Oh, Friday night matchup against Houston, the, one of the top teams in the conference. Like, let's go. That's going to be a fun game." But is it now kind of like, "Meh"? I think it's going to be interesting. Like the the luster is kind of taken off because, mm-hmm. as I joked, Houston hasn't put their half in. Like Houston <laughs> hasn't been carrying their weight. Memphis did what they were supposed yeah. to do. But yeah. Houston hasn't done what they what people thought they were doing. So I think right. people will be excited, but it's not going to be the same game we thought it was where Memphis would probably right. host a playoff contender. Like they're hosting a two and three Houston team that's not <laughs> on paper as exciting. But still, I think people will get up for Houston because the games have always been this back and forth where you never know what could happen. There have been some down to the wire games. There have been some fourth quarter rallies. Um, but I think the luster of the game is not where I thought it would be a month ago. Yeah. And I am curious what fans will do because you got high school football that night. Right. The Grizzlies are playing a preseason home game that night. Jeez. Preseason, but still. Yeah. It's going to siphon away the casual fans who's like, or the local fans be like, do I want to go see football, a good Houston team, I mean, a good Memphis Houston game potentially, or do I want to go see John Morant and the Grizzlies play for like a couple minutes in the exhibition. I mean, it's, it's legit. So that's, that's a bummer. That's a bummer choice, but that, that would even be a choice. Like that bums me out. It's tough, but I mean, look, you know, Emily, you and I, and Dan, we're all, we all are from big cities where this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in Memphis, it's, it's one of those things where people are very territorial, especially in Memphis, where it's like, they want to have the crowd. They want to show a great looking crowd to appeal to what, you know, the perception of Memphis is they want to show everyone that Memphis is still a viable brand, but mm-hmm. right now, nationally, at least it's really difficult. And to the point where yeah. if you beat, if you beat Houston, you're not going to get a boost from it. Like who's going to care. <laughs> Houston's not Houston. Isn't the big win you thought it would be because they're struggling. I think it would be big for Ryan Silverfield and Dan. I, I think you agree that if they win mm-hmm. this game, it's big for the program. It's big for, I still think it's big, even though Houston's not, what they are, you know what I mean? But yeah, no one's going to care about it, but like us. So I, I tend to agree because at the end of the day, Houston's one of the three teams leaving for the big 12. So you want to beat all those teams. If you're Memphis, if only to prove the point that you belong in yeah. that same category. Right. Well, I'm excited. My, my hope for the night is that people heckle Dana Holgerson because oh, I really think that he could break. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to break like any minute. And so I honestly, like I am pleading with the fans at Memphis, like, please come out and just heckle this man and just like bring signs, like boo him. He hates being booed. We already know Memphis fans are good at booing because they were doing it last week. Like, let's just keep on the train here. And I cannot wait to interview him in the post game. Cause I'm literally no holds bar going to be like, what did you do? Who has a voodoo doll of you somewhere that has made this program 
act the way it has. So Emily, you're so, going to be the person that makes Dana Hogerson go viral with the crate with the <laughs> crazy response, huh? I think I might. I think that responsibility falls on my shoulders as a visiting writer to to do that for this game because <laughs> come on, like it's either you should at you. You're I mean, there next week. Yeah, exactly. No one's going to get mad. I'm not going to go to Houston again. Like, no way. So this is my shot to really liven everything up. And like, if the game ends up being, it's either going to be a crazy game where like a bunch of crazy stuff happens, or it's going to be like, meh. So if it's like that, then I'm going to, I'm going to bring the spice, but. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to come to Memphis and cause chaos and then mm. the beat writers have to go clean it up. Yeah. Well, I like to think well, of it as. The beat writers have to clean up this. <laughs> Yeah, not you. That's our job. That's our job. Our job is basically somebody asks a wild question. It's like, y'all don't have to see that person in a couple of days. I, I do. Mean, that's that's fair. But you didn't ask the question, so they're not going to be mad at you. They'll be mad at somebody and be like, look, I'm bringing this napalm bomb to everybody. Like, you know what? Y'all better be ready. I'm in a mood. That's fair. Today. Well, maybe I'll just like ask. I, I'm very good at kind of asking it in a way that's like not going to seem offensive or whatever i don't we'll see i've dealt with mike leach for many years so like i'm not worried oh, about so, it. well well yeah. in that case you're ready for yeah. Hogerson. i'm ready i'm ready for Hogerson. Good god and yes you are i've also seen him in his element here at pebble beach in a golf cart drinking white claws listening to miley cyrus so like there's really nothing <laughs> oh you can't tell god. me yeah yeah <laughs> that's a visual actually too. it might have been Katy perry either way it was it was yeah. Yeah. It was hot girl music. It was on. It was outside. I was right outside my window. I was like, what is happening? This, this, this he is an original. That's all I can yes, say. He is an he original. Is. Jeez. All right. Well, we should probably let Evan go. So yeah. We can get to the rest of our shenanigans. I wish I didn't have to leave now because y'all sound like y'all are just <laughs> a, a barrel of laughs. <laughs> we, uh, we like to have fun, you know, but. <laughs> You can come back. We'll just have you back on and do when you have like a night where you're not doing a bunch of stuff. You can come on and just do a whole one with us where we just talk about all the teams in terms that we catch on a Memphis by week or something like. Yeah, that. there we you go. Know what? That's a good idea. Let's find, let's let's find a way to do that because if I come back on here, I have a feeling that with these with the way y'all are doing this, we might have some yep. more fun when I'm not like stressed out on in, in writer mode. Yeah, I got you. All right. It's a deal. You're coming back on then. Thank you so much for joining us and have a good rest of the night and good luck on your story. Appreciate it. Oh. Yes. Dan, would you, you say something, Dan? I was going to say, before you go, make sure people know where they can find you. Oh, yeah. duh. I'm the worst. A- Emily just kicking me out of here without yep. introducing myself or leaving a note. <laughs> anyway, um, y'all can find me at Evan underscore B. Um, I have stuff at the commercialappeal.com. We have plenty of coverage for Memphis football this week. Trust me, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah. That's Do you have it. Instagram as well as Twitter? I mean, yeah, but who who really wants to follow me on Instagram? I'm just saying Dan doesn't have an Instagram, so we're just shaming him now. Emily, you okay. don't follow me. Emily, you don't follow me on Instagram. I'm about to go hit the follow button right now. That's what oh I'm going to go Oh, my gosh. Do. Okay. All right. It's If you do want to follow me on Instagram, it's ebarns for. Um, here we go real easy emily's probably gonna stalk me now yeah, um i, I actually checked out your page today so yeah i'm judging i'm judging but i'm being hypocritical i'm you being hypocritical i'm like on something from a few months ago and go what happened there yeah yeah dan, dan, <laughs> dan if that happens i'll just come i'll just shoot you a message like emily did i what am i getting into with letting her into my my space now <laughs> Yeah, it's you're you're gonna you're not gonna regret it, but you might rethink it. No, <laughs> yeah, you know you what? Like I said, I got love for my fellow Californians. Even though if you're from the Bay, from the North, it's all right. I got love yes. for everybody. But um, yeah, thank y'all. Let's for get having. some barbecue this weekend. So I'll see you in Memphis. 
yeah, you know what to do. Hit me up. I'll take care of you and your boyfriend coming through. No, <laughs> boyfriend's not coming. Just me. Excited to rule solo. It's gonna be. Oh, fun. then let him. Then let him know. I will make sure you have a good time. <laughs> yeah, he will. All right, bye, Evan. See you guys. All right, Evan was great, huh? That was awesome. I he's oh my god, he's been doing this so long and he's so knowledgeable and. You should definitely go check out his stories if you're a Memphis fan, even if you're not, because his analysis is great and he brings like really great stories to the um, AAC scene. So everybody absolutely. check him out. Yeah, if you need any Memphis information, he's the go-to, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, uh, we do have a few other games to recap. Just from a few. Well, really just a few. Bizarre just a few, yeah. It's, it's great. I looked at the games. I was writing them down. I was like, there were only five games this weekend? What? Yeah, I was looking at next week because I was like, four new games that we haven't talked about yet. That's not that many. No, we're going to be well under it. We'll probably still go the whole time because that's yeah, us, but cause watch it's fine. Because watch this. Um, yeah. <laughs> we touched on this game a little bit. I'm going to start with the Friday night game, Tulane 27, Houston 24 in overtime. Oh my God. Uh, Michael Pratt didn't play for Tulane. I'm going to start Tulane. <laughs> I think that's a more yeah. happy way to look at Michael Pratt didn't play because he was banged up and injured. Uh, backup quarterback comes into the game, and on the first drive of the game, he's injured. So you have to bring in a young Kai Horton, your third string quarterback, who has got, I mean, not no experience technically, but essentially no experience uh, as a quarterback at the FBS level. And mm-hmm. he goes out there, and it wasn't always pretty, especially when he first went into the game. But by the end of the game, he, you could see him gaining confidence. And he went out there and he had a drive to tie the game. And he, in overtime, he went out there and won the game for them. That throw in overtime to win the game was a yeah. big, that was a big boy throw. I don't think people realize how tight a window that was. That was a good coverage, all things said. It wasn't blanket coverage, but it was good coverage. It was a tight window. He had to anticipate that it would be there. He had to read the secondary. That wasn't like, you know how sometimes RPOs, it's you just read which direction a linebacker runs and it's open inherently. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It was a proper read. That was a really, really impressive. Just gaining moment. He was impressive to me. I know that the yeah, numbers. Yeah, like, I'm getting hard. that. I'm getting that from from this okay. this okay, but- soliloquy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm joking. I just think it's funny because you never. It's not that you say bad stuff about Tulane, but you definitely are riding the bus right now. I love Tulane. I always you're have. drinking the Kool Aid. I've always, yeah, but- Willie Fritz, I'm a huge believer in. If you're mad at me for the way I talked about them last year, it's because they legitimately stunk last year. <laughs> you didn't want to believe that they stunk last year. But they, right. But I'm just saying it's, it's the same like team. If, but it's, it's the, the same team, but they're they're missing guys that went to the NFL. Like, no, but it's not the same team because last year's team was displaced by a hurricane and completely. So we're really going to say it's all about the hurricane. Oh boy. I, fl- okay. I think that the hurricane had a huge effect on that team. Um, but you know, if we need to get a Tulane beat writer in here to talk about it, we can. We might, we might need to. Yeah, I know. We might um, need to. We'll see what happens with that. But no. Uh, mean, let's see. Did any Tulane players? Oh, yep. We have, of course. I don't know how I missed this. Uh, Defensive Player of the Week honors for the AAC goes to Nick Anderson Neasy, as he's known on Instagram. Uh, senior linebacker. He matched his career high with 14 tackles, the most by an American Athletic Conference player. And as we said, delivered a key defensive play um, to lead them in their win over Houston. His forced 
forced fumble midway through the third quarter was returned for a green wave touchdown to break what had been a seven, seven tie, which yes, you heard that correctly. Third quarter was seven, seven. Yeah. I do want to, that's pretty much another mm -hmm. praise for this Tulane defense our Tulane team in general is the defense about halfway through last season. They did figure it out on the defensive side of the mm -hmm. ball Offense never clicked last year at all, but the defense really figured it out about halfway through last season and they've yeah. been dominant defense this season. They, I mean, Kansas state, they completely smothered. They smothered Houston in this game. I, you know, I don't think other than the, we, even Southern Miss who beat them didn't really look good on offense doing it. It was a weird game. You know, all of their games have been, in my opinion, weird games like that. That's why I don't trust them. I got so much hell. I caught so much heat for not picking them in this game. But I'm sorry that the sample size that I've seen from Tulane and the sample size I've seen from Houston, Houston on paper is a better team. And especially when you put in not the starting quarterback, when Michael Potts are in the game, th this should have been a no contest. So I don't understand it, but you know what? Tulane to spite me is going to win games. So I will keep picking against them for their own benefit. Okay. You're so welcome. They are your Tulsa. I gotcha. <laughs> it's crazy because I was the one that had their back last year and now they're just shunning me, just turning on me. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, I'm upset. And I think, I think something you've said in there is, 100% correct. I mean, not to say that what you're saying isn't correct in general. Everything else wasn't. They, yeah, they, no, I, I'm just, <laughs> just well, nonsense coming out of my mouth over here. Tulane does clearly hate you as well. But no, uh, on paper, mm. Houston's the better team and should have won the game. Yeah. And that's true for, I think, all but the But Willie games. Fritz is a better human being than Dana Holgerson. So. <laughs> He's a that's better just... football coach, too. <laughs> yes, yes, everything. Better and that's why, that's why they won. Well, and then you I'm, mentioned Kai Horton, the redshirt freshman quarterback Tulane coming in. Um, he got honor honor roll mention for right. AAC this week. So I could yeah. even give him offensive player of the week the way he played at the end of the game. I do want to quickly touch on Dana yeah. in this Houston team, though. Again, just mm -hmm. besides the fact they're not playing to their ability, besides the fact they're starting to get banged up with injuries, besides the fact they're completely mm -hmm. undisciplined. Yes. Dana, at the end of this game, I have a complaint about. And I know that you probably have the same type of complaint. But like 25 seconds left or so, Houston was trying to put together something to get into field goal range and try a long field goal to possibly mm -hmm. win in regulation. And they took a delay of game penalty, a really bad delay of game penalty because they had three timeouts, right? You you know the penalties in this game were nauseating. They were so well, yeah, bad. but that's all season for Houston at this point. But they took but it was delay. like both. It was like it was yeah, terrible. I mean, Hard it, to watch. It was, but uh. Yeah. In particular, there was this delay of game penalty with, you know, like less than 30 seconds left that set really killed any shot Houston had of putting together a drive to get into field goal range at the end of regulation. And Dana screaming his ass off at, mm -hmm. at his assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. It's your fault, Dana. You are the head coach. Yeah. You can look at the damn clock and see that it's running out. You can see that your offense isn't prepared to take the snap. You've got three timeouts in your back pocket. You know you don't have enough time to use them all. Burn one. You don't okay. So in response to what you just said, my, you know how I'm always going to have a Dana Holgerson quote now. That's the thing. So here is my Dana Holgerson quote from this game. And it goes to your point here. He says, quote, there's enough blame to go around. Coaches got to coach better. Players got to play better. At the end of the day, that's what needs to happen. Okay, pretty like 
standard coach speech, yeah. whatever. But then he decides to add in and again and say there's enough blame to go around for a second time. And then he goes on a tyrant, a tirade. Offense clearly didn't do enough. Defense gave up another drive at the end. Special teams missed a couple of field goals. That's all three sides right there. We battled, just didn't find a way to win. End quote, Dana Holgerson. So three sides of the triangle, offense, defense, special teams. Where is the coaching side? Where is the coach's responsibility? In the middle, in the middle where they all meet. (laughs) He tried to say, oh, you know, we have to coach better. There's enough blame for everybody. But he proceeded to blame everybody but himself. I I hate this because you had like a minute drive chance to end the game and you had three timeouts and you didn't use a single one of them and you went to overtime and your home crowd booed you as you frankly deserve to get booed. And you're shouting, you know, expletives at them because you're mad that you're getting booed when you just took three freaking timeouts with you to overtime. That's awful. And then in overtime, I'm so sick of his idea that it's better if you take the ball first because yeah. now you're, well, now you're one for he, doing that. He did admit that in the post game. Like he did address, he's like, yeah, you know, that was the wrong call. But like at the time we thought that was right. So yeah. Um, I will say uh, Clayton Toon was a little bit of a bright spot, passed for 208 yards, uh, 22 of 33, two touchdowns. And then he also had 56 rushing yards. He surpassed the 10,000 career yard total mark with 10,023 yards, becoming the fourth player in program history to accomplish that, joining Case Keenum, Kevin Kolb, and Greg Ward Jr. So congratulations to Clayton Toon. He says a few players in their program history of who putting it up just massive numbers. Yeah. Case Keenum in my mind is chief among them. Yeah. Um, Case Keenum. People forget that he played at Houston. Like don't know that. He was there for like was six there. years or something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to another, any other game. Cause that was just the worst. Yeah. Uh, how about Navy 10 air force 13 oh. first leg of the commander in chiefs trophy. Uh, just a shot in my heart. That game. Always the under always bet the under in the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they were so close though. Like Navy. I, I'm excited because I'm going to incredible mm-hmm. wonders. I don't know exactly what clicked during the bye week, but mm-hmm. something did. And at least on the defensive side of the ball, they are worlds better than they were the first yeah. time. The defense wasn't inherently the issue before that, but like the defense looked good. I do wonder how much of that is we practice against the triple option year round and we play these guys every year. So we kind of know what to expect, but at the same time, you still have to go out there and execute. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, Air Force the, in the kind of inverse did the same to them defensively. But mm-hmm. uh, you kept it close with a team I didn't really think you were going to. Exactly. And it looked tough, you know, having that 10-0 first quarter. You're like, oh, okay, this is what kind of day it's going to be. Like, oh, but 7-13 or something like that at the end. Yeah, or you just don't, yeah, you don't think maybe has it or they're, I, I don't know, but they did an incredible job coming back. They did a really great job against Air Force's rushing attack, holding the nation's leader in rushing yards per game to half of their average at just 200 yards on 47 attempts. So Navy's defense showed out. Yeah, absolutely. Make no mistake, Air Force is going to win the Commander-in-Chief's trophy this year. It's there, so this Army doesn't look all that good if we're getting into it. I don't know if you've watched a lot of Army football. Emily. I have not watched a ton of Army. I am going to Army in two weeks to cover their game against Colgate, but um, well, I have not seen a ton. So. game this season. I know. It's weird. I don't know how... <laughs> 
I like the Colgate team. They're a little scrappy guy. I like them. I, They're like, I tell you what, people, yeah, I watch more Patriot League football. Holy Cross yeah. just over this week. It was a good game. Uh, Lehigh, yeah, Georgetown. This is great. This is a good, fun FCS league. Anyways, not the point. <laughs> uh, the point is, Air Force I have is a really fun Commander in Chief trophy fact when you're done. Well, then I'm interested in that because I was just going to say, I think they could win the Mountain West very easily too. So, like, interesting. Mountain West is a mess right now. Yeah. I don't trust Boise State at all. I don't trust San Diego State. Boise State really, they really screwed me this weekend because I thought you couldn't trust them either. And then they came back and won that game. I was like, ugh. Who else is going to win the Mountain West this year? UNLV? No. They they didn't look great either in the game against New Mexico. All right, then New Mexico's going. Yeah, I guess guess it's New Mexico. That's who the little one. The only one I'm sure Um, will win it is Colorado State, so... Yeah, that's for sure. Um, So this was my note I have about the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. If you guys don't know, this is what the uh, service academy schools play for um, every year. It's like a point. I think it's like a points competition, right? Like you get certain points. Well, they play each other. So if you win two games against. Yeah, but it's other stuff, too. It's it's, yeah, because I don't think a lot of times they split one, one, one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Navy will There's other ways to get points. I don't, yeah. yeah, but it, it's mostly just winning straight up against each other. But Air Force. Well, it says every year from 1997 to 2016, the winner of Air Force and Navy, so the game that we just had this weekend, went on to win the Commander in Trophy, Commander in Chief's Trophy. Yeah, that was. And a, these two. Okay. No, go ahead. No, I'm I'm done. <laughs> These two programs have combined for 36 out of the 45 outright wins in the series. So basically like suck it army, I guess. I don't even, that doesn't feel right saying that, but. Um, uh, no, you can say it's suck it army. Uh, no. no, it was actually, it was before Jeff Munkin got to army was what I was going to say, but he's the, before Munkin got there, army was like pitiful. Really? Yeah. Huh. Munkin turned, he did a really, really good job very quickly there. Uh, which is actually part of why Navy struggled since 2016 because they're losing a lot of guys they might have otherwise had in the program to Army. It's Maybe. another if we're looking big picture. It's a like, younger like vibe. I know that Army cultivates like especially Matt Drinkle, their um, their tight ends coach. Like he's very active on Twitter, very like young voice. So I wonder if that you know if recruit. yeah, because Navy is just traditional. Same, yeah, they're all recruiting from the same pool of kids. So like. If mm-hmm. Army's just been having a better time recruiting from that pool of kids, that's all it takes sometimes. I was, I, if you're right about Air Force winning the trophy, it will be the 21st time that they've won in the series, and it will be their first time since 2016. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Only other interesting note I personally had was it was interesting how much Ty Lavate threw in this game 20 passes. Yeah. And it really was the effective way of moving the ball for Navy's offense. Uh, again, I think that just goes to Air Force's just knows what navy does mm-hmm. and vice versa so like you have to break the mold in these games if you really want to do you something to, yeah and you have to have the personnel to do that and that's funny that you say that because that's one of the notes i have as that lavatai um through a career high 20 pass attempts totally yeah. more yards through the air than the team had on the ground which is unusual so yeah almost I, did it almost did it <laughs> yeah i'm glad to see navy Putting up a little bit more fight, though they obviously BDCU. Now we'll see how their season turns from here. 
you know. I'm going to chat with head coach Ken Niamatololo on Wednesday. So if you guys have any Navy burning questions for coach Ken, make sure you tweet those at me um, and let me know because I'm excited to Dan already got me one from, from his own brain to, to ask over there. So we'll be big, big smooth brain question. It's yeah. Really excited for this matchup with Tulsa. Honestly, I know it sounds weird, but this Navy Tulsa matchup, which we'll get to, I know in the second half is so interesting to me because of the juxtaposition of the, the program. Programs and like the discipline and the tradition versus like just the utter chaos and disruptiveness that is that is Tulsa. It's like I so I'm trying to interview both head coaches and see if I can get them to talk about like you know how you prepare for the exact opposite thing that you are. Well, styles make fights is what they say, so I'm excited for that game too. Okay. Anyways, uh, moving on to the game, I know you're excited to talk about most of all. It's ECU 48, USF 28, and it wasn't that close, folks. Uh, it was not. I didn't even know uh, USF got 28 points, to be honest it, with you. A lot, they had some junk time scoring that mm. went on. Um, little, like little, And then Jeff Scott, after the game, talked about how they actually won the second half. Oh, boy. That's – I mean, he has to say it. I, I understand, it's just, but it's, it's, it's just, tough. The USF fans I know are so sick of hearing that, though. Yeah, but, it's sad. Know, you get your blow, doors blown off the first half. Yeah, you won the second half because the other team – they stopped trying. Yeah. Because they're like, <laughs> their starters weren't playing. And that's what USF fans are sick of is they have eyes. They know what happened. Don't pretend like you have positive momentum after that game. Uh, A big yeah. shout out to ECU quarterback Holden Aylers, a fan favorite on the show. We love Holton Aylers. Senior quarterback is the AAC Offensive Player of the Week. And why don't you hit us with his stat line, Dan, since you're so excited about it? Six touchdowns is what jumped out to me. Uh, 31 of 41, 465 yeah. yards. Yeah. With no interception. That's got to be the biggest. Yeah, very clean, clean game. Yes, he also had nine yards that. rushing, so don't take that away from him. Five touchdown passes in the first half. He did. He did have some rushing yards. Um, it was his sixth career game with at least 400 passing yards. And he moved into second place on the Americans career touchdown passes chart with 85 trailing only. Can you guess the one quarterback that he's trailing from the AAC? I'll give you a hint. He's a former Memphis quarterback. A former Memphis core. Is this all time? You said, right? I'm not yes. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's in with, within years, you would remember this person. Okay. Paxton Lynch. No. Riley Ferguson. No. Brady White. Brady White. <laughs> you go down Do you line. know that Memphis had like three quarterbacks named Brady for a while? Yeah. It's, it was confusing. Yeah. It was a lot. So um, that's fine. But yeah. So shout out Holton Aylers, thickest quarterback in the AAC, maybe in the country. I don't know. I'd have to look. No, KJ but- Jefferson. KJ Jefferson. Yeah, maybe I would have to look, but just off the top of my head, I'd say he's thickness quotient is a thing. It will be coming to draft boards near you sometime soon. The thicker your quarterback, the more lifespan you're going to have in the NFL. If you also are a good quarterback in general, like this does not go for just like big old. You know, who was a thick quarterback for Syracuse a few years ago was a Dungy, Eric Dungy. Do you remember him? No. He was thick. Why would I remember an old Syracuse quarterback? That's it's not that old. That's a crazy question. Um, McNabb years. We did talk a little bit about the bright spot for USF receiver Jimmy Horn having yeah. a career day, which 
I don't know what that means, but uh, eight passes for 180 yards, two touchdowns, averaging 22.5 yards per catch, including that 91-yard touchdown that you guys talked about earlier. Warren's total ranks as the fourth most receiving yards in a game in program history, and the most since Tyree McCann set the Bulls game record with 227 at UCF in 2017. Yeah, I remember McCann's in that game. He was uh, an absolute menace. Uh, no, the thing with so Jimmy, the question has to be asked: Why are they not throwing to Jimmy Horn? Yeah, I mean, why is this his first game like this? Why he's only played in the Howard and BYU games, or only you know before this, from my understanding, he only had two catches in either one of those this season. Uh, they're just—I don't understand the lack of targets. Or Jimmy him. Horn. I just think it's—I think it's a bad scheme. He's one of your most talented playmakers. Get on the ball. You know, Gary Bohannon, his stats look pretty decent at the end of the game, but I think that's a lot of garbage time compilation more than it is a good Well, thing. and that's the crazy thing about this game is USF had 455 total yards of offense. So it's not that... After the game was already decided is the thing. I mean, that's fine, but it, at least they didn't roll over. I mean, they're still putting up yards. They're still putting up points. I'd argue that. Um, 253 passing yards was a season high, which I can say in USF's defense, it was a bad situation to be playing a football game in. A hurricane had just struck the Southwest Florida. Uh, For the like, there's images of Tampa Bay where the entire bay was sucked out into the ocean before the storm. This was a cataclysmic hurricane. You know, players on USF's roster come from all over the area that was and still is, frankly, devastated. Uh, this game was not played in Tampa. It was played in Boca Raton. So it was effectively an away game. It was, I don't know, it was an empty stadium, let's be honest, because it was a weird situation. And so there's a lot of- USF should be used to that. They should be used to an empty stadium. (laughs) CF or Florida's playing there. So mean. It's It's mean, but it's true. It's true. Because the second- It's fine. You know, they dressed up to try to make it feel like home a little bit, FAU did for them, which was nice. They didn't have to paint the ball logo on the midfield. Yeah, that, I mean, you, but you're always trying to help people out that are displaced because of exactly. natural, and, you know, natural disasters. That's your conference so. rival in Florida now, too, so you got to be nice to them, I guess. Um, Anyways, this is, this. that's uh, just, that's it. Uh, it was bad. Really quickly, one other takeaway I had about ECU. Okay. They threw the ball so much more than I expected them to, mm. just based on what I know of their personality. I think of this ECU team as a power team, as a run first team that, is, that will throw and isn't afraid to throw, but wants to smash you in the mouth first. That's more, I think of as Mike Houston's personality as a coach. Yeah. I think you'd agree with that. They lit them up through the air. So I have to think they just looked at that and said, we just have a mismatch here on the outside. And that should never happen to USF just because of the nature of the athletes you can get. You should never not be able to have a secondary that can't cover pretty much anyone in the conference, you know? Yeah, well, that that sucks if you're USF, but it's definitely like it was a weird stylistic choice for me from ECU from what I know of them. Or maybe they just want to change what they've been doing. Maybe they looked at the game against Navy and said our offense wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Or something different. They needed to, and and it worked. CJ Johnson, who we should mention, he's um, great. He's a great honor player. roll honors. He uh, had seven receptions for 197 yards and a school and conference record. Four touchdowns in the win. So just ECU out here setting records. Love to see it. Hate to see USF struggling the way they are, but um, something's got to give over there. So yeah. All right, one more game to recap. I don't want to talk about this. 
Okay, we can do it quick if you want. I mean, Cincinnati 31, Tulsa 21. It was a good game. Let's just say that first off. Yeah. This is a good, fun, exciting game to Tulsa watch. Tulsa fought hard. Not their offensive line. No, not their offensive line. That's correct. And I think that's the complete difference. Do you know how game. many sacks they let in? They let through? Was it nine? Eleven. Eleven. It was eleven. The nine was It was the most sacks since Fickle was hired in 2016, yeah. and it was eleven. It's, it's upsetting. <laughs> Frankly, we'll how do you expect someone that looks like Davis Brin to to survive? <laughs> Just yeah. I mean, Tulsa's offensive line was so bad in this game. I feel like Brin's lucky he only threw two interceptions because. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're getting pressured like that, when you're getting hit like that, you have a tendency to just go first street and throw it up there. And sometimes yeah. that's a really, really good secondary that can make you pay for that kind of uh, play. And man, yes. that's just such a lopsided stat. I don't even know what to do with it. And it surprises me. Yeah. I feel like it's had good trench play for the past few years under Philip Montgomery. And it's just not there this year, which is also Kind of why I think we don't see the running game the way it was the past few years either. Yeah. And I mean, Prince had a pretty good game, but he wasn't. He like, did. He actually did have a good game, but it's not like Shamari Brooks, you know, that's. Exactly. It's just not, but he's also not the same kind of guy. Like he, it's just, if you don't have those personnel and we've talked about this before, Tulsa can't recruit those guys all the time. It's a very small school. Um, you know, it, it's just harder for them to survive that way. Yeah. Resources aren't great at Tulsa if no. we're getting into it compared to other AAC schools. Yeah, they do the best they can. And honestly, I think they they do a decent job. What makes me so upset about this? Well, I guess I don't know, upset, whatever, but they gave two That's honor right. roll spots to Cincinnati, one to Deshaun Pace, junior linebacker, five tackles, a sack, and an 18-yard interception run for a touchdown. And then Jabari Taylor, who I actually do think deserved it. I don't, I mean, it's just like, how do you give honors to a team where everyone's getting sacks and you know? quarterback hurries and tackles like it's like it's kind of silly but uh Jabari Taylor senior defensive end for Cincinnati had two and a half of the sacks and three and a half tackles for a loss so I guess they probably chose him because he led the way individually in sacks I guess yeah but uh it's just like if everyone's getting a sack uh, sacking Davis Brin then I should get you know honored or you know yeah somebody else Uh, I will say this about Cincinnati. They continued to commit way too many penalties, which not great if you're trying to be, you know, the team of your, um, I think they had 11 penalties, most of which came in the second half. Then that's kind of what helped Tulsa hang around a little bit is that undisciplined, you know, play from Cincinnati, but despite, you know, double digit penalties for the third game this season, they hit double digits, by the way, Um, they did manage to hold on. Neither team scored in the fourth quarter, which was interesting. You know, it is what it is. Cincinnati's good. I thought Tulsa might come in and upend them, but or a few things we can say. Cincinnati still is one of the top two defenses in the conference, at least Mm -hmm. the best. Uh, Cincinnati's offense does not have the horses to pull away from teams like it did last year and turn a game like this into 42-21 instead of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they just don't have the ability to make it a blowout on offense this nope. year. A little bit undisciplined in a way that I don't really think I expected to ever see from a Luke Fickle team. And uh, Yeah, he probably the- didn't either. He's probably pissed about it. A lot of young players are playing this year. That's part of it, I think. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they had to basically rebuild what the, the model was. But the thing is, you have the model. So, you know, yeah. plug in guys that, you know, can do it and play. But but they're so don't don't be undisciplined. Jesus, get the guy in there that's going to do the right thing and make the right moves. Maybe he's not as good or as quick or as whatever. But if he's not going to cost you negative yards, that might I be get, worth I, I consideration. Get I get what you're saying for sure. It's a kind of where does it blend up a little pro and con. Um, and the other thing, the kicking game still not it for Cincinnati. They missed another field goal in this game that wasn't like it impossible to make kick. Uh, mm-hmm. At some point, I feel like that's going to bite them. You know what I mean? But yeah, who knows at this point? Because, well, who knows? Gonna be in- <laughs> because none of us have a crystal ball, clearly, <laughs> exactly. especially me when I make my picks. So hit me with it. What, what were we? Uh, last week, I was five and oh. Uh, you were two and three. Two and three. All right. Not terrible. Yeah. Well, what happened last week? Let me just quickly double check that I got that right. Uh, yeah. yeah you, were, you were in Houston, which was frankly the smart pick. I think I just was mad at Houston for the way they've been playing. Yeah, that's fair. I think I got lucky. Uh, Memphis, yes. we were both on. That was correct. You trusted Navy, and it was a good close game. I tried. I, do it I tried. Doing quite at the end, but I don't think yeah. it was a bad pick. They lost by three. It's not a bad pick. Yeah. No. Uh, we were both on ECU. Uh, I was, and then I tried to pick Tulsa. I know. I am. I was okay. almost on Tulsa too, though, and I backed off it at the last second and picked Cincy. So, well, so it's not like that was a wild pick. You know what I mean? And then SMU, you know, SMU UCF didn't happen last week, so that doesn't. Yeah. Count. So we already made our picks for that. Did we both pick UCF? No, I picked SMU last week. Oh, you did. Are you are you going to be allowed to change your pick now or no? Uh, I don't think so because we uh, okay. we crystallized it. Okay. Uh, the game, it didn't. Would you change your pick now? Possibly because of the news that came out from SMU <laughs> yes. today. But at oh. the same time, I still think that the hurricane in its impact, or I just got a notice from my utility company not to use water today. Mm. Mm. And we're recording on Monday after the storm. Yeah. So like, it's not like things are perfect here. No. You know what I mean? Well, things are not perfect at SMU either because we learned today, as I read on, on three, that my good friend Dan writes for uh, SMU players are going to sit out the remainder of the 2022 season with the intention of entering the transfer portal, according to multiple reports, sophomore safety, Isaiah, I'm not even going to try and say his name. Uh, Nicobia veteran defensive back, Chase Cromartie receivers, Roderick Daniels, Jr. And Jalen record. Um, Yeah. Those are the guys. Yeah, crazy. It's my initial knee-jerk reaction was it reminds me of what Dana Holgerson. And I was like, wait a minute, these guys are doing it to transfer inherently, not to play next year and like develop. And I know Dr. King ended up transferring anyways, but that wasn't yeah, what was sold to us at the time. <laughs> you know, what I mean, at the time, it was yes. sold to give them a chance to learn the system. So, do uh, you think this is just a case of these guys? Because I'm looking at their, you know, their. I think this is. A- yeah, mm-hmm. I think this is an early example of something we're going to see a lot more in the future. Mm-hmm. Guys are not getting the snaps they want, the the plays yeah. they want, so because there's guys ahead of them, so they're just going to go elsewhere. And in the circumstances too, when you look at it, it's a new head coach, it's a new coaching staff. Mm-hmm. They gave it four games, which is the new. For those who don't know, a few years ago, the redshirt rule went from you can't play any games in a year to you can play four games in the year. Yeah, in your uh, Before I'll, you can exercise your red shirt. Exactly. Yeah. So basically what I think you're going to see a lot of guys do is when a new coach comes in because the transfer portal is so flexible now, mm-hmm. 
it gives them that opportunity to say, hey, let me see if I feel like I fit in with this coaching staff. And if the answer is no, which it might not be because you didn't sign up to coach for that coaching staff. Is that not hard to take that personally, though, if you're Rhett Lashley? Like, I would take it personally. Yeah, but I think you can't. You're I know the- you can't, but I, guys, I some coaches are some of the most petty people out there, and I, they take everything I personally. So. I, know, I, I think Rhett Lashley is more mature than that, though. Maybe. Dana Holgerson wouldn't be. But no, but anyways, you know, I just don't think if you can avoid taking it personal, it's no big deal. Uh, it's obviously a big deal to lose players in the middle of the year, of the year that you thought you'd have. Uh, mm-hmm. Game is being played Wednesday night now because of hurricane changes. I think it's all very awkward. It'll be interesting to see which team comes out and is prepared for the game because it's tough for SMU too. Uh, Evan mentioned how tough it was for Memphis back in, I think 2017 was the year he was referencing. Uh, to go down to UCF only to turn around because the the travel got all messed up from the hurricane. So they like prep multiple times for the game in different weeks. Yeah. Uh, that's tough on SMU. It's tougher on UCF, I think, given the circumstances. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. We're going to keep our picks. I'm not going to let us reconsider. I'm not going to let I, I support that. Uh, so that will go just on our week six ledger instead of. Okay. So who knows? We'll see how that goes. Uh, speaking of week six games, we're not going to re-preview that. We talked about last week. If you want to go back and listen to that, I am going to start us off super, super briefly because we touched on it with Evan Houston at Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be at this game. So I want yes. to say about it. I, <laughs> I have so many things. I, I said most of what I needed to say when Evan was on here, but I think my biggest thing I want to take away from this, aside from seeing Houston in person and trying to like figure out what the hell is going on is I want to see what he talked about with Memphis, like not really knowing what the temperature is there. You know, RP, I kind of want to go out in the stands and see what people are saying and, and hear from them. Like, are we upset that this is not a conference caliber team yet? Or are we okay with the fact that we're four and one and, you know, it, it seems to be going all right. Like there's no major fires to put out currently. So I'm very curious to gauge the temperature um, at Liberty Stadium um, and see kind of how Memphis feels. And if this game's like seven to three, either direction at halftime, what's the fan base like? Are they like, what's the feeling? Yeah, are they like, are they pissed? Are they like, no, it's going to be okay. Do they have faith in the team? Do they not? Like that, those are things I'm going to be looking for when I'm there on Friday. There's no denying that Seth Hennigan is a very, very good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But the offense around him, I don't know how good it is. You know, and mm-hmm. a good quarterback can only elevate you so far beyond yeah. the team around you. He can only do so much. He's human. I hate to talk about the NFL, but like I think Mac Jones is a pretty decent NFL quarterback. And I'm a Patriots fan, I should say. Mm-hmm. But I think the team around him is garbage. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, he's injured right now, but like. Which is unusual for a Bill Belichick team. But Bill Belichick I mean, for years has been gained away with. Uh, less than like talented uh, skills position players. I feel like he goes out and looks for like diamond in the rough kinds of guys though that pan out. The thing is, if you look for diamond in the rough only, you never go for an actually. That's that's true. It doesn't always work, but I feel like he's he's been lucky. Yeah, but his like ran out about five years ago. People (laughs) haven't talked about it enough. All right. He. You know, I mean, Julian Edelman got old and he didn't have a replacement at the slot. He hasn't had a good out deep threat in a while. Like, so Mac Jones came in and he's been put in a position where it's difficult to see uh, to succeed in terms of the players around him. And I'm not even going to talk about how we have a former defense coordinator calling offensive plays right now. And yeah, but like, 
So Seth Hennigan's a good, talented quarterback. I think Mac Jones is a good, talented quarterback. But is the team around them good enough to help them out a little bit? Yeah. You know I mean, there's very few quarterbacks elite enough to overcome middling talent around you. And that's what I I'll mean. tell you this. Normally, I would be nervous for Seth Hennigan to throw against the secondary at Houston or, you know, escape with his life against what what was called Sack Avenue, but is not anymore. Um, I'm not that yeah. worried anymore. I'm mm-hmm. actually going to pick Memphis in this game because I just think there's too much. It's too much at Houston. There's too much. Uh, I don't even know what the word is disruption. Like there's something going on in there. That's not right. Yeah, and it's like, it's like quicksand. They're just sinking right now. Yeah. They've got, well, they've got mold in the walls. It's something's there's something, wrong. something's wrong. Um, so. I'm, I'm on Memphis as well. Okay, I, cool. I don't see how this, uh, how this Houston team can travel and stay disciplined in a road environment. Yeah. I Liberty Bowl is tough to play in. Uh, I don't, I think one team's just better coached than the other. Yeah. Yes. End of the day, I think Silverfield's the better coach right now than Dana over the course of their careers. Who knows? But right I now. feel like Dana is going to have such a meltdown. I just cannot wait. I will be documenting. I will be live streaming that shit. Yeah. yeah get a Facebook live going. I will. I will definitely for you guys. All um, right. What's the next one? Yeah. USF at Cincinnati. Let's spend 30 seconds on why Cincinnati is going to kick the crap out of them. Yeah. It's at Nippert. Uh, USF yep. has been lifeless since the Florida game. And mm. frankly, it's going to be a thing that we study for years to come where they found any life at all for Florida. Um, yeah, it's I don't so think, sad. It, it shouldn't be close. No. And I only am slightly happy about that. I, mean, I will say this, this, my only caveat to this game is like, yes, I'm going to pick Cincinnati. Okay. That's a done deal. But do I think the second half of this game could be interesting because Cincinnati historically this year, not as good in the second half, not as disciplined in the second half. A lot of the penalties come later in the game mm-hmm. and USF weirdly tends to do better to get their shit together. Sometimes. So could we see like a weird third quarter? Maybe. Right. But that's about it. So, and you know what I just love is I'm reading previews about this game and I'm reading what people write about USF. The number one thing that is said about USF football, can you guess what is like as a positive? As a positive? Yeah. When people are trying to find something, you know, for a preview to write about them. For an individual preview game. Yeah, like well, every time they're previewed, though. Uh, every time. What is, what is the thing that people highlight about USF or they say Athlete? about them? Rhett Lashley Let's said show. it about them in my story. Okay, well now I'm gonna look bad because I definitely don't remember. Uh, I mean, we're talking about just the athletes that they have because there are yes, hundred percent. Every you nailed it. Every time you read a preview, they go, "Well, but South Florida has athletes on both sides of the ball." <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, bro, yeah. it's that's it. I used to think that was like gonna save them or like be a but that when people no. write this team has athletes on both sides of the ball, it's kind of code for they're bad, but yeah, if they're good, hypothetically it's because it's because they're athletic. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm tired of it. So it's, that's it's all I have fun. to say about that. It's gonna I think it's gonna be bad. So I think so too. Uh moving on, ECU at Tulane. I'm interested. Interesting. I think Tulane's defense is legit. I think that the offense and who starts at quarterback is going to be interesting. Is Pratt healthy enough to go? I'm not is- even going to try and find this out because I did my hardest digging to try. I have a lot of friends at Tulane. Okay. I was like, all right, I'm going to text everybody and see if I can figure out if Pratt, if I can confirm he's not starting or what's wrong with him. 
And I did, I did get confirmation he wasn't going to start. So like, but it was trickling and they were not being forthcoming about it at all. Like it was this big secret. And then I did find out what his injury is. I cannot disclose it. Unfortunately, I was sworn to secrecy, but they were being very cagey about what's wrong with him, but it is an injury. And I, he apparently was bad all last week, was not good in practice, was very like hurt. So it was, it was apparent he wasn't going to play to most people. So if it's that bad, I don't know that he's going to play in this game. And at that point you're going with Kai Horton again, which. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad alternative. Is there magic two weeks in a row though? Was that like a weird cloud he like glided in on? Uh, ECU defensively though, giving up a lot, just bleeding hemorrhaging points and and yards. So. And I don't a hundred percent. I I like ECU this year. I've talked about that Mm -hmm. all year. I'm not like off on them, but they've had a couple of games where they've just been inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically thinking about the Navy game right now, I'm thinking about, you know, I think they could have probably beaten Old Dominion better than they beat them. You know what I mean? But yeah, now, it's at Tulane. I think I'm yes. like wave. I think I'm going to ride the wave. Oh boy, I'm going ECU. I all right, that's fair. I I think all nailers are bust, man. Hey, he could have. I'll be interested to see if they aired out the same way they did against USF. Because if they do not as much, I but don't I'm think but... in general, if they aired out a lot, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. More so than they were prior to the uh, USF game. That to me will say that they're changing their general strategy because of something they saw against Navy and yeah. this month or so of the season that they didn't like. And if it's yep. back to kind of normal, then I'm saying it was specifically something they saw they could exploit <laughs> against USF. Yeah. Yep. So that's something right. to watch, I think, from a scheme standpoint. Uh, last game for us to touch on Tulsa at Navy. Uh, interesting clash of styles, like we mentioned earlier. Tulsa's mm-hmm. going to throw the ball over the field. Navy's going to, you know, limit the game, shorten possessions, run that triple. Mm. I don't think you're going to see Ty Lavate throw 20 times this game. I think that was a matter of trying to, like, break tendency and do something that... Yeah, but it wasn't bad. Like, if I'm Ken, I'm encouraged by his... Not only like the fact that he attempts these throws, but like his um, his his checkoff and his ability to read. And I thought he did a good job in, you know, executing the plays and, and making good choices. So, yeah. So we'll see if they go to it more often. Yeah. I don't know that they will more than six or seven times, though, just because it is still Navy at the end of the day. Um, yep. I forgot to mention in all these games really quickly, I'm going to run back. UCF is favored by three. Well, we know what that means, right? Yeah, coin flip, basically. Okay. And Memphis also only favored by three, despite... That, that makes sense to me because, again, on paper, really? Houston's a better team. Houston's got better athletes. But the meltdown, my God. Houston's got, <laughs> got athletes on both sides of the ball. Uh, Cincinnati favored by 28. Yeah. So that's that's that. Cover. Tulane favored by two and a half. Okay, that's a, the same thing as the field goal base. Yeah, very the close. Moment, so, and then, surprise, but yeah, guess who's favored in this Tulsa Navy game? Should be Tulsa, right? How many do you think? Five and a half, six, four, close, four. A little bit. So it's it looks like it might be a little bit of a game here. It's very. It's gonna. Be, I think it's it'll be interesting. It could either be very interesting or it's just gonna not. It'll be a Navy meltdown. Who knows? I think that, yeah, I think Navy keeps it close. I do think they limit possession. I think ultimately Tulsa turns into just a little bit too much of a shootout for Navy to keep up 
you know, I think we're going to yeah. see a score in the range of like 28 to 17, something like that. Okay. And, and the wow. shootout is the wrong term when I say that, but I just don't think Navy's offense is ever going to be capable of scoring more than 20 consistently just by its design. Uh, I'm so torn in this one because I wrote down Navy, but now I'm like, should I not, should I just take Tulsa? Well, it's up to you. Are you trying to catch up or are you trying to, is I mean, right that part of the season, do you remember last year when you had to pick a lot of upsets because you were behind after you yes. picked a lot of upsets because you wanted them? Yes. And you had to pick them hoping that they all came through. I so kind of feel like Navy is going to have a good game though. Cause I, I don't know. I just think go, uh, go for it. I then. don't know. Go for it. I want to make my pick after I talk to Coach Ken on Wednesday. Uh, we're recording now, so. I know. Um, I'm guessing you're going Tulsa. Yeah, I'm going Tulsa. Not by a lot, but I am going Tulsa. <sighs> Which is the I picked Tulsa in a while. I'm breaking my streak of refusing to pick Tulsa. Okay, fine. I'm going to pick Navy just so that right. we're at odds. All right. Sounds good. It better not screw me over. And a recap, I did pick SMU last week to beat UCF. You had UCF beat SMU as yes. well. We're counting that towards this week. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything else for the people? No, that's it. Follow along uh, this weekend as I attempt to cover two games in two days, the first of which is Houston at Memphis, and the second, which is going to be James Madison at Arkansas State. Uh, I almost wish for you that it was the opposite around because uh, Harrisonburg is very beautiful. But uh, I know I've heard that. That's what everybody said. But Arkansas State's only an hour from Memphis, so... In terms of planning the trip, that makes a lot more sense. Yes. You know what I mean? For I'm very of, excited. Yeah. One of my favorite James quarterbacks Madison. is Todd Sentio, who plays um, for, he's the James Madison quarterback, and he's awesome. So I'm excited to see him in person. I've decided I'm going to claim James Madison as a team because I was accepted to go to James Madison High School, though I did not attend. There we go. Fun so fact. Love that. Another, yeah, another team I'm going to claim. I love uh, it. So yeah, follow along this weekend um, on Twitter and Instagram at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M for all the updates. And you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Morrison 96. Also writing that on three if you're interested in that type of nonsense. Yes, there you go. Well, we enjoyed it. I hope you guys like this one. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we're off. <laughs>